Welcome to 100 Lunches. I'm Jessica Nelson. And I'm Stephanie Lindsay. We're the founders of Etch Design Group. Each episode, we'll have intimate conversations that transcend the usual lunch meeting. We'll dig into the lives of fascinating people in the design industry, and we'll ask the big questions, the small questions, and maybe even a few that sound like it came straight from a fortune cookie. Our vision for this podcast is to uncover the hidden gems and what led each of our guests to their calling in life, from childhood dreams to favorite lunchtime meals. Buckle up, you're in for a treat. Welcome back to 100 Lunches. Today we are joined by Julie Kachirian, and she has a design studio in Costa Mesa, California. Julie owns Catch Design Collective, and she and I actually have a mutual friend that introduced us. And so she's considering a business partnership and she had some questions for us. And so we thought we'd let her interview us today and see, see what that's like. So Julie, we'll let you kick it off and ask any questions you have. Um, well, I guess my first question is how are you both enjoying your partnership? And I, I'm just learning about your business. So how are you guys enjoying it and how long have you guys been at it together as partners? Yeah. So we have been partners for nine years and we were friends a few years, only like a year and a half actually before that. So pretty short before we started our business and from my side, I'm loving our partnership. (laughs) I feel like we just grow closer (laughs) as the years go on. And, and we just become more seamless. The more time goes on, the easier it is to know what the other person is actually saying. Yeah, I agree. I think, um, what we have just works really well together. Um, we balance each other in so many different ways and, you know, what I'm not great at Steph is awesome at and what Steph is um, not great at, I might be good at. So we just kind of, um, pick up where the other person, you know, just struggles a little bit. And, um, I think it's just been a really beneficial, um, partnership for so many reasons, but, you know, the friendship has also grown exponentially over the last nine years. And we just really like, we vacation together. We, (laughs) we do all kinds of things together outside of work. And, uh, she's like my, always my like number one on my phone. (laughs) And who I talk to every day. So probably more so than my husband sometimes. And what I, I mean, before we started recording, you asked me why I was interested in partnering with someone else. I'd love to know why each of you wanted to partner with anyone and not just kind of be on your own. For me, I kind of have two answers. The answer from before and the answer now, like looking back, I never wanted to own my own business because I wanted, I felt like I didn't have the skills to do it all. And so I needed someone who could fill in my gaps and I didn't know that that would be Jess or that it would be what it is today or any of that. I just wanted to go out on my own one day as an interior design professional and own my own business. But I knew that I didn't want to do that on my own. And, and now looking back, I can say that it's really beneficial because sometimes business owners feel lonely. Like you, you get a lot of crap and 
when something doesn't go right, it's on you. And Jess was just talking about this in our last episode that we kind of take it personally and it's hard for us to move on from that. We carry that weight with us because it means so much to us, which is why it hurts so much when something doesn't go well Mm -hmm. or someone's upset. And so we take that on. And when you're the only person that feels that it's hard to relate to someone else and it's hard for anyone to, it feels like it's hard for anyone to relate to you. And so I think that for me, it's, it's just the comfort of knowing that someone else is going through it with me and that we're not alone. And anytime there's a hiccup that we have each other and we're going to get through it together and not feeling like the entire weight is on my shoulders. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think to add to that, um, when you're the business owner, you're going to think about things differently than an employee would. And, um, whether that be a client situation, whether that be a financial decision, um, you, you name it, whatever the decision is, if you have someone else that's in that seat with you that cares about things just as much um, as you do, <clears throat> then you're both coming at it from the mindset of, you know, is this a smart move? Are we making the right move? Let's talk through all of the details together. What are the pluses? What are the minuses? And, you know, you can really have those insightful conversations with one another and, and bounce a lot of ideas off off of each other. I think it's very different than having like a conversation with your husband or, you know, a friend because they're not in it with you, you know, like they're giving their side of what they think you should do. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's your gut that you have to trust. Right. And so if you have two guts (laughs) in the equation that are saying yes or no, you know, it's just, it's so good to have kind of that sounding board and that other person to be able to really um, just kind of go through navigate through it all together with you. So I think that's been huge. Um, I also think that as a business owner, as you know, there are so many hats that you wear that it's, it becomes daunting very quickly. If you're not up for the challenge of tackling all of those on your own. And so if you can really kind of split the responsibilities in two and say, okay, well, what are you good at? What am I good at? this one really drives me or or I have a passion for that, or I don't want to touch that with a 10 foot pole. Like that's, you you have the ability to say that. And so what doesn't fall on each of you guys' plates, you can off offload, right. And outsource to someone else, but to be able to have someone else to kind of split the tasks and responsibilities with, I think is, is huge. And just finding someone that I was, I was saying this on the last podcast that has kind of the same work ethic as you and the same passion and drive, I think is also really key because um, like when Steph and I were just going into like having kids for the first time, um, like you never know how that's going to change someone. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, is it, oh, well, gosh, like, is she still going to be just as involved as she is? What is that going to look like? Am I going to take a brunt of the work? Like there are so many questions that you have, and that could be with any situation, not just having children. Right. Um, and so finding someone that's just as in it as you are, I think is so critical that, um, you know, you never feel like you're having to take on all of it. Like it's, it's truly like a shared and balanced relationship. 
Well, and I think that could also be a reason to not go into business with a partner too. Like it'd be interesting to interview someone who had a partnership that didn't work and why it didn't work because I have, I'm sure we all know people who have had a partnership and it, and they ended up splitting up. Um, and I can imagine that it would be difficult we've gotten to a point now where we understand each other. We also feel like the other person is equal and we've got each other's back. There's so much there and so much history there. But I think that it also is easy to fall into that trap of going, okay, well, I'm doing more than that person. So mm-hmm. what does yeah. that mean in the business? You know, am I getting compensated for that? Are they doing more work for than I am? And so I, I feel like I'm not living up to it. So I feel guilty because I'm not doing as much right now and Mm -hmm. they should be more compensated than I am. And yet you both are equal owners. You both own 50% of the company. Um, I think honestly, the accounting side of it is the most sensitive part because you can manage design clients. You can manage projects from start to finish, all of those things. And a lot of designers, I think in any creative industry, not just designers, any creative goes into owning their own business and they lack the business side of it. And it's hard to manage the numbers because they are so creative. And then you add a business partner into it and then it makes it even more complicated. And if you don't have really clear distinctions about the number side and the accounting side of it, what do you feel comfortable uh, when it comes to distributions? What do you feel comfortable when it comes to payroll? If you don't have the money, are you okay with going without for a minute or cutting your pay or, you know, those types of conversations, I think get really sticky because financial conversations are very personal. And so that I think can be a really tricky portion of it. And I think for me, that's where I have the most amount of questions. And I, and you touched on a few things like workload and compensation. So how do you guys determine, so if you guys are 50, 50 partners Mm -hmm. in your business, so what happens if Stephanie, you're in a busier season of your life and you're only working on two projects, but Jessica's working on four, how does your compensation change, um, as it relates to your workload and how, like, do you guys have a structure in place that helps you equitably make those, um, distributions or however it is that you guys call them? It's different year to year. When we first started, it was based on workload. So whatever we build a client, we would get paid a portion of that. So for a long time, we did not get paid equally. We, you know, if we build, you know, back then we would build $75 an hour or then $95 an hour. If we build 75, then we would get... I don't know what it was like 35 or $45 of that. And the rest would go back to the company. And so if Jess was working more on client stuff, then she would make more money. If I was making, if I was doing more client stuff, then I would make more money. And then it got to a point where we realized, okay, well, there's a lot of things that we're both doing that aren't client time. So 
then we would just track all of our hours and pay ourselves per hour on those things. Honestly, mostly so that we could just make sure we weren't taking more money out of the business than we were getting in. Like, mm -hmm. you know, we, we wanted to have some realistic amount of money in the business to keep it going. And then over time, I don't even know when it transitioned. Do you Jess of, to us just saying, here's our pay. And we just took an equal, like, we, we pay each other equal. Amounts. Yeah. I think once it got to a, a point where the bank account felt stable <laughs> enough to be able to support that, then it was like, okay, what is a, an actual salary look like for each of us? And, um, and I think this is where communication really plays a key part in it working or not working is you always have to kind of be thinking not just about yourself, but about the other person too, and about what's best for the business. And, you know, like Stephanie said a minute ago, um, <clears throat> kind of having that humility to say, like, I'm at a different time in my life. Like I can see that you're working more than me. I can like, I can feel it. Um, like you should be getting compensated for that. And like, we're, we're really, mm -hmm become each other's supporters in that regard. Like if I see that Steph's just, you know, burning the candle at both ends, I'm like, you need to get paid more for this. Like you need to, you need to, you know, do, do more for you because, um, like I know that you need it and I, I want you to have that. Um, so I think we're always kind of our own, uh, or cheerleaders for each other. And, uh, but I think that the communication of, you know, speaking up whenever, you know, you feel like you're doing more, or you feel like you're doing less or anything like that, to, because they're there. I, I think the main thing is to never have any kind of animosity. Like it, the second that any kind of animosity starts to grow in a business relationship, that's, I think, when everything can go south very quickly. And so the more mm -hmm. communicative you are with each other and, um, you know, willing to give, uh, you know, your two cents and have those free conversations with each other to where, you feel heard and, and everyone's on the same page, I think is where it really works, honestly. And do you guys work on and are on any of your projects? Are both of you involved or do you divvy the workout by project? So today is very different than it was then. I'm, I would say 99.9% .9 out of design. It's very few and far between that I get involved in design at all. Okay. And, but when we started Jess and I, I mean, even before we had designers on staff, we typically carried about 30 projects a year and there were projects that we worked on together. There were projects that she worked on by herself and there were projects that I worked on by myself and we would collaborate. And if it was something that I was managing, but I needed a second opinion on, or I wanted a second set of eyes on my plans before they went out the door or things like that, then we would offload those things to each other or ask for help. But there were specific projects that we both instantly knew, okay, I don't want to do this by myself. She doesn't want to do this by herself. Let's mm -hmm. do this one together. And then the mm -hmm. next one would be this is totally Jess's ballpark. She already has a relationship with the client. She's just going to run with it. And then the next mm -hmm. one would be me saying, no, I've got this one. I can handle this one on my own. And so it was just kind of a case by case basis. Okay. Now, so Stephanie being out of design, is that something that you thought would happen or did you lose interest? Did you get really passionate about running the business? How did that happen? <laughs> uh, I had kids, a lot of them. 
well, four <laughs> to be exact. And <laughs> that counts as a lot. I have yeah. two. <laughs> you have double. <laughs> yeah. So we, my husband and I have four kids under five years old and mm. well, when they were born, they were four under five. And now, um, looking back, I, I mean, I think it's an obvious course looking back just because Jess is much more of a people person. She's an extrovert. I'm an introvert. I'm fine being the recluse at home that doesn't see anyone ever. We have different personalities, which obviously is why we work well together. And, and so even from the beginning, like even after we got the office, I would work from home way more than I would go to the office. And she would work from the office way more than she would be at home. And honestly, the move was a big part of that because I couldn't meet with clients in person. And so Jess and the team had to do that. Mm -hmm. And so that just naturally took me out of it. And so I work more on business processes and documents and business side of things than anything else. I think mostly because of the location. Okay. So I was just going to say, I will say that Stephanie is actually still like the first point of contact for any client. And sometimes she actually talks to clients where as I, I don't even like, I've never even met the client um, because she still does all of our new client calls. And that's something that she can do from afar where it doesn't, doesn't matter if she's in Austin or in Utah or wherever. Um, she can do a Zoom with them. She can do a call with them. And so she's still that first touch point for the business. And um, and really at that point, the, the team kind of takes it over and runs with it from there. So, you know, there's there's a, a benefit to her <laughs> even being away. And she she does still have, you know, a good hand in, in the clients and the business. I think that it probably looks different for every design firm. And I think the key is just finding out what, what is fulfilling to you and what's not fulfilling to you? What does the other person think is fulfilling versus not fulfilling, you know, that sort of thing and making sure that you're not all in the same buckets, because if you want to do all the same things and that's what's mm -hmm. fulfilling to you, then one person is going to feel unfulfilled. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Cause I have seen designers partner and then quickly dissolve. And I think a lot of it was just that they were too similar but almost like as an outsider, it was so clear, like, how are they going to split everything up? They are, they have such similar personalities. Yeah. Um, so that totally does make sense. So when you guys um, hire designers to work for you guys, um, how did you kind of flush out aesthetics? Cause I know when I've worked with an intern or, um, or in those situations, sometimes I'm like, Oh, I don't really, it's hard to let that control go of the aesthetic on a project. And especially when you're, you know, billing hours to a client, you want to make sure that whoever's working under you is adding value with those billable hours and you're not going to have to redo all their work. So in terms of aesthetics, how, what are you looking for in your staff and how do you know kind of who to hire? So for the design side specifically, we do two things. We look at their portfolio that gives us a sense of what they're drawn towards and what they know, you know, in terms of vendors and resources. But secondly, then we give them a test, which isn't really a test. It's more of an exercise, I would say, to see what they 
what they do and how their brain works. And that is two parts. One where they take a plan that we have remodeled before and they they rework it in AutoCAD based on the criteria from the client. And then we also have them put a design concept together for one of the bathrooms. The majority of our work is remodels. So that makes sense for us, but it might make sense to do something different um, in a different firm. And so it gives us, we tell them, you know, spend an hour max. I know that they probably spend more than that, maybe even way more than that. (laughs) But we try to say, we don't, we're not looking for perfection. We're not looking for every T to be crossed. We're not looking for every document to be titled and have leader lines with notes. Like we just want a floor plan to see how your brain works when it comes to remodels. And we want to see a design concept board to see where you go and Mm -hmm. where you take this design vision. I think that a lot of designers have a specific style and you probably look at our portfolio and would probably say the same, like there are consistencies, but every client comes to us with different inspiration images. And so that gives us a sense of, okay, if, if we give them these inspiration images, can they emulate that style with a design board? And if they can, and we go, okay, this hits the mark, then we move forward. If it comes in and we go, okay, they're completely in a different direction design wise, then we know we're probably not on the same page. Um, Yeah, I would, I would also say like all of that. Yes. Um, But you have to think about the things that are non-negotiables for you. So like, if you don't ever want to see viscose in a rug, if you don't ever want to see, you know, in ceramic tile trim, because we like Schluter. Or you don't like Schluter. (laughs) Like you have to, I think, explain to your team what your non-negotiables are. And then in our office, we actually have like a running list of like, if don't do this or do this or, you know, whatever it is. And, um, and I think being really upfront with those items is really important because if you see something like you do have to release the reins and you're going to see things that you're like, Oh, I would have totally done that differently. But you have to have those conversations with the team after and just say, Hey, next time, like this, this kind of stood out to me, I would do this instead. Um, or I never want to see that again. (laughs) So like, don't even try and put Mm -hmm. it on a and so I think just, you know, being <laughs> forthcoming with your team of what your expectations are and what you want and don't want, and um, they'll listen. But you, yeah, you definitely have to release those reins, even when it's really uncomfortable sometimes. Um, what, how do you guys make decisions? It kind of sounds like you're consensus driven, um, but um, what do you guys do when you disagree on something? Oh, when we disagree. What do um, we do? When do we disagree? We don't disagree (laughs) all that often. I think we have to hear each other's side of why we're feeling a certain way. And then I think usually by the time both of us have said our piece of how we're feeling about something, the other one can reason with it in some form or fashion. And and then you just kind of have to pick your battles of like, I, I feel really strongly about this. I really think we need to go that that route. And then the other person says, all right, I totally trust you. Um, and that's so, what I was going to say. Yeah. Um, but it's like, whoever has more passion about that specific thing, like if it, if it 
if I specifically am like this, I feel really, really strongly about this, then Jess knows, okay, let's, let's spend some more time talking about it because I'm not there yet. Or I, I disagree, or maybe we could handle it a little differently. And most of the time we come to some sort of a resolution that has both parts involved. I would just say we, we trust each other's intuition and gut instincts. And so I think if something is really glaring to one of us, then the other one will always jump on board and listen. Um, sometimes there is more information that's needed. And so we just need to talk it out more. Sometimes there's decisions that, you know, like I'm in a client meeting and Steph has like a 911 and she has to get back to someone like quickly, like she takes it and run with it, runs with it. And she'll always come back to me and say, Hey, I made this executive decision. I hope you're okay with that. And we always talk about it. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, totally. I, I trust you. So I think trust is just such a huge factor. And as long as you have that foundational element there, it's always going to, it's always going to work out. You just have to have like the trust, the communication and um, knowing that like, we're both in it for the same reasons and we're always going to have each other's back. Mm -hmm. We also have kind of come to the agreement that if there's something that we are wavering on and we, we aren't both feeling good about the decision, then we say, okay, let's table this. Let's sleep on it. We'll talk about it again tomorrow. And then if we still aren't feeling that way, then we'll be like, okay, let's table this. Let's come back to it. And we just keep doing that until we both feel like we have reached the resolution. And I think most of the time we then we'll come up with more ideas. Like if we know the other person isn't on board, we're like, okay, well, what about this? Like, what if we do this, but we add on this or we change this wording or we something until we get to a point where we feel good about it. Makes sense. What would you say has been your biggest challenge to date with um, your business uh, and your partnership? Just one. Like what's been your, what's been the biggest struggle for you guys? I honestly don't even know how I would pick the biggest because we've had a lot of really big things like me moving from Texas to Utah. That was a big thing and a big challenge for us. Jess's husband being in a plane crash. That was a really big challenge for us. Having children and that disrupting our work has been a really big challenge slow down in an economy. I don't know. <laughs> Jess, do you have like one that would be the biggest? I think the biggest for me would be having a large team and being in separate places because since I am in the office every day and Steph is away, finding that um, rhythm of what works, who's, who's, you know, kind of forward facing today, who's taking on this, who's answering this question um, there's a lot of like challenges that come with having a lot of people on the team. So <clears throat> Steph is great about asking questions. I'm kind of like, let's dive in. And she's like, whoa, 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 let's pause. Let's, you know, let's ask a couple questions here. Let's take, let's take some time and really understand, you know, whatever the issue is. Um, but I, I think managing people is just, it's challenging, right? And we're not born managers. We're born designers, maybe, but you know, the, the business side has to come with it and it doesn't always come as easily as we would like sometimes. So I think that's probably been my biggest challenge. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, along over the years, there's challenge after challenge, after hurdle, after road bump or, you know, whatever. Um, and that's just kind of part of, I think, having a business. But the bigger you grow, yeah, absolutely. the more that comes with it, you know? <clears throat> yes. I think absolutely. that's the thing that weighs on us the most, like that we think about constantly. And originally when we <clears throat> hired our first designers, it was because we wanted help and we needed help. And now our team is growing because they need help. And we feel like constantly questioning our decisions and meaning we're constantly questioning our decisions of, okay, well, is this, how is this going to impact them? And is this going to make them happy? What is going to make them happy? And we're constantly trying to figure out how to manage their pay and make sure that they're fulfilled, not only in their work, but in their paycheck. And it's, really difficult because we want to make everyone happy all the time. And when you're in charge of someone else's pay, it adds a whole other level, you know, in just your relationship with someone. And I think it weighs on us a lot. And I'm sure it also is the pressure of having a continuous supply of projects to fund oh, yeah. all the additional employees. Cause that's one of the things that some of my, I've spoken with other designers who have staff and it's like their overhead is so much that you wonder, well, how much money are you really even making that much more money than a one person show who doesn't have all the headache. So it almost seems like you have to really want all of that um, for some other reason. Cause it, it's not just the finances because you can be a one person show and make really good money. And you could be someone who has 12 designers and have a very stressful life and maybe not even make more money than that one person. So hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. Yeah. And then we talk to people in, even in our industry or in other fields that are making more money than us that are working for someone else. Mm-hmm. So there's so many avenues, so many different realms that you can get caught up in or think about. For us, it's really the long game. For us, it's really knowing that, you know, our team has become more like our clients than our clients are to us right now, just because our clients are the ones working directly with our designers, not necessarily us. And so now we're on a mission to make sure that we're providing an opportunity that most residential designers don't get to have. Like you, most residentials don't get to, you either work on your own and own your own business or you work from some for someone else and you're probably not going to get paid that well. Mm -hmm. And And so now we're kind of on a mission of, okay, well, how do we break that mold? How do we build something that provides growth, provides leadership opportunities for a team that wouldn't maybe necessarily have that opportunity because the industry doesn't provide it most of the time, you know, and most, and there are a lot of creatives that don't want to run their own business for all of the reasons that we've just talked about. Right. So, <laughs> so for us, it's mission driven and we, you know, it goes back to, we really just want to make people happy, whether it's our clients or our team or the vendors that we work with or anyone. And so, yeah, right now it's, not necessarily the most profitable thing that we probably could be doing, but one day 
it will pay off. And one day, hopefully, we'll have a legacy that our kids are proud of. Do you guys ever, like, if you have a designer who has designed something amazing, do you ever miss creating that on your own, seeing them do it for your clients? Because it sounds like maybe even both of you are slightly removed from that creation process. And obviously, you guys have a success, you've created this successful business. Do you ever long to kind of be back into that portion of creating? We design our own homes now. So that's our fulfillment now. Jess has made, um, designed custom homes for her and her husband, and they just recently remodeled their latest project. And my home that we're in now was a custom house. And prior to that, we remodeled the previous two homes. So it's more of a fulfillment for us personally mm-hmm. and... And so we're getting those design buckets filled with our own projects personally. Yeah, I agree. And then I think my last question, um, how, what do you think the best way is to charge clients? Cause you know, there's so many different ways, hourly versus fixed fee. Um, and I think as you grow, you know, I tried to move away from hourly and go to fixed fee. But then as soon as you start having people work for you, you're like, oh, shoot, hourly is a safer method because you know that you can always pay your staff. But then there's that part of, well, the fa- the better you get at something, then the faster you are. So then you get paid less. So how have, how have you guys um, navigated that? <laughs> We wholeheartedly back hourly billing. That's we have been burned way too many times on flat. <laughs> we would just won't, we won't do it. We will not do it. Um, mm-hmm. I think that you have to have your process down pat to be successful in, in, in a flat fee structure. Um, and then you also have to mm-hmm. build in your contract specific things that allow you to do change orders and just different things. And I feel like when you get into that part of it, that's when clients start to feel nickeled and dimed. Um, whereas hourly, you know, we set the expectation up front of like, you can expect that our project is going to be, you know, 10 to 20% of say the remodel cost or the construction cost or something like that. And so while we don't have an exact number for you of what that will be, this is, you know, based on past history where it tends to land. And so it gives them an idea and then it saves us from having to consistently go back to them and say, well, you changed this and you added that. And like, I don't want to be the policeman. Like, I just want to do a good job and, you know, have our, our team do a good job for the clients and just set the expectation up front of like, this is what you can expect. Um, flat fees just kill us, honestly. Well, I think that there's a belief from the design side that if you charge flat fee, the client is going to be happier because they know what's expected. They know what to anticipate the rest of the project in terms of billing, which is true, but it also gives the client kind of this like carte blanche. I can use you for as long as I want. It's really hard to draw the boundary 
between here's what I said I was going to do mm. and here's what you're asking me to do. And then every time you keep going back, like Jess said, nickel and diming, you're like, okay, well, this wasn't what, what was in the scope. So if you want us to do that, then it's going to be an additional flat fee. And then they're upset because on the flat fee client side, it feels like they have access and can keep going for as long as you they want. And I think there's also this belief that the opposite is true, which is that if the hourly time billing for a client um, is the case, then a designer can just continually bill as many hours as they want. But actually the opposite happens. Mm -hmm. If it's on the client, they are way more picky about what they charge. Right. They're like, well, I don't want the client to be upset because I spent seven hours on this drawing. So I'm going to do it in four hours or I'm going to figure out a way to make up that time and I'm going to cut it. And, you know, they're, they're much accountable to their clients. And so on the hourly time billing, they actually will spend less time than they will on a fixed fee project because they want to make that client happy in terms of billing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's hard to, this is a whole, I, this is a soapbox for me because there are so many business coaches out there advertising and standing behind the fact that you have to do a flat fee. And I personally mm -hmm. think that it is bringing our industry down as a whole. You are up against designers who are losing money every time, but that client is getting an, a fixed fee. And it's really lowering, in my opinion, the quality of the design industry, because at the end of the day, everyone's going to have to lower their cost to match that fixed fee that that other client got. So we are in line with each other's prices and mm -hmm. it's not so much of a distinction or huge price difference between one design firm to the next. But I can guarantee you if they're charging a flat fee on every single project, they are not making money. And when it comes to product, do you guys share any portion of your discounts with your clients? How do you guys approach that? So we charge a standard margin on our furnishing. So the majority of the time, our cost to the client is coming in less than retail. And okay. So your goal is to always sell somewhere at retail or less than. Right. If it comes okay. down to it and the clients are maybe going to be spending more if they purchase it through us, like there are some vendors where we're like, like RH, for instance, we're like, buy that on your own. Like, don't even mm -hmm. come to us. Uh, it, we'll put it in the right. design presentation and we'll approve it and everything, but I don't want to have an upset client because they see that we're adding an additional margin on top of, you know, this discounted price that RH gives everyone. Like they don't, they right. don't give any kind of incentive to, to, to go there because they want to sell everything through their, you know, like designers on staff. And so I'm like, just buy it on your own. We'll all feel better about it. <laughs> we'll sleep better at night because of it. Um, so if, if it's ever an instance like that, or the team comes to us and says like, Hey, this is coming out more than what they would spend if they just bought it on their own, then we're like, just let them buy it on their own. It's not worth mm -hmm. it to us. have a happy client. But there are clients that just want the hands off. They want mm -hmm. someone to manage everything for them. They don't want to order something and then have to deal with the delivery and inspect it when it arrives. And 
you know, scheduling the delivery and all of those components. And so we do have clients that will say, just do it all. We understand that it, it'll cost us more to buy it through you, but just yeah. manage mm-hmm. it all because we don't want to deal with it. Should I be asking you something I haven't already <laughs> asked you? I don't think so. <laughs> um, I think what we should do is do a part two and like circle back to us in a month and let us know yeah. what you decided or what you're you're leaning towards or, you know. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I'll be honest that sometimes when I hear, I I have friends who have larger design firms, sometimes I'm like, oh, I don't want that. Like that just sounds overwhelming. And I don't know that it satisfies my personal why, Mm -hmm. because at least at this stage, and I know things can change, you know, um, but every time I hear designers talk, I'm like, oh, it's so complex. It starts to get really complex, like really fast that I personally wonder, maybe I will always keep my business pretty small and tight instead yeah. of um, something what you guys have, which I think is amazing and I admire it. Um, I just, I don't know that I want that though. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think that's okay. Like everyone has a different path and we also didn't start here. Right. You know, so I think that it's everyone is on their own path and we're, we're not the 50 person firm either. Right. Like there's all different levels of skills and, and I don't think that someone with a higher revenue or a bigger team means that they're happier. I don't think that someone with no team or making more money means they're happier. I think it's just individual by individual and what Mm -hmm. you feel kind of like Jess was saying earlier, like going with your gut and just knowing, okay, based on the knowledge I have today, this is what my gut is telling me to do. This is what I prayed about. This is what I feel good about. And you move forward. And if you continue to feel good in that, then you know, you're on the right path. And if you continue to feel confused, then you know, you made the wrong decision. Right. That makes Mm -hmm. sense. <clears throat> when we go into um, one of our yearly reviews with our team, we always ask them if, you know, their work at Etch is fulfilling to them. And um, I think like that should be a constant question that you always ask yourself is, is this fulfilling to me? Is what I'm doing filling my bucket or is it draining me? And, you know, Steph and I are great about figuring out when the other person is feeling drained or, you know, needing something more and just kind of pausing and saying like, are you okay? Like what, what's going on? Are you feeling happy? Are you feeling stressed? Are you feeling frustrated? Like what's the root cause? And, you know, really kind of sorting out our brains a little bit and saying, you know, actually I'm not feeling that great and here's why. And this isn't, filling my bucket. This is actually causing me more stress and anxiety than I really need. And I'm staying up late at night, you know, thinking about it and I'm just not getting what I need. And so I think that's a good gut check for us in, in terms of like, what do we need to do to change some things around to make it more fulfilling to you and to give you something that does bring you joy? Because if it's not bringing you joy at the end of the day, you probably shouldn't be doing it. Right. So mm-hmm. yeah. different for everyone, you know? Yes. Yes. And, and you know, as you were talking, I was thinking like, what fulfills me? Um, 
And the interesting thing is I think I thrive in like the big picture, creative direction, visioning for a project. Mm -hmm. Like Stephanie, I don't like to be in like the business part of it. That's the part I least like, but it's not because I'm bad at it because I used to do strategy consulting before I came into it. So I actually did a lot of project management. It's just, Mm -hmm. that's not what fills up my cup. So it's almost like I need a team under me to be at that place, but I need a Stephanie, I guess. That's what I realized. I'm like, I need someone like a Stephanie who enjoys that, like growing the business and that part is fulfilling. I need someone like that is what I took away from this conversation, that those are the qualities I should be looking for in whoever I partner with, if I partner with someone. Mm -hmm. I will say this. We all need a Stephanie in our life. (laughs) They're hard to find, but when you find them, you just got to grab them and take them with you. (laughs) The feeling's mutual. Well, Julie, thanks so much for joining us today. And I really do hope that you'll circle back with us as your journey continues and let us know what you decide. Thank you guys so much. I, you guys helped um, with a lot of the questions I had. It was really nice to get to know you both. As we wrap up another inspiring episode of 100 Lunches, we want to extend our gratitude to our guest today, Julie Kachirian with Catch Design Collective. We hope we were able to provide some insight for you into our business partnership, and we look forward to checking back in with you to see where your path takes you. Until next time, stay curious, keep dreaming big, and remember, the best conversations are always better by the side of something delicious. Mm-mm-mm.